Recorded live. Good morning and good afternoon. Good evening, everybody. It's Charlene Anderson here with another episode of the Wholesale Sourcing Expert Show. Today, we're going to follow up on the show from two weeks ago about wholesale, kind of appropriate. And we're going to talk about some problems and issues and um, things you might run into when you are sourcing wholesale. Um, I still believe wholesale is far easier than driving to 40 Walmarts a day looking for products, um, especially like for Ellie since her air conditioning is broken and it's 100 degrees out. Um, sitting at home and ordering stuff is all, and having it brought to you is a lot more enjoyable. Um, for me, it's a location-based thing because I don't live near anywhere um, that's worth sourcing at. So um, I'm just going to keep pushing wholesale. Um, quite funny, I'm sure a lot of you have noticed in the past month, month and a half, everybody has now jumped on the wholesale bandwagon. Have you guys seen that? Um, for years... I was talking wholesale for Amazon sellers um, and online sellers in general, and people were telling me, oh, I can't do wholesale because of, and you can list the reasons, margins aren't good enough, um, I don't know how to get accounts, I, they won't sell to Amazon sellers, all of these excuses about why they, they can't or won't do wholesale. Um, and now, believe it or not, Everybody and their cat has a wholesale group, has a wholesale course, um, is doing all sorts of stuff. And I have to say, in a way, it's really annoying because I've been talking about it for 10 years at least that I've been, I've been working with, with people like you who are selling online. Um, it's kind of vindication that I was right all along that, that wholesale seems to be the holy grail of sourcing for everybody. All the online arbitrage people, the retail arbitrage people, the liquidation people are now pushing wholesale. So the irony is not lost to me, and I just kind of um, have to chuckle when I get an e another email in my inbox that says, um, you know, here's a new course from Mr. XYZ. He is the very best wholesale expert selling on Amazon. He's been doing it for six months, and he knows everything, you know. And not to diss any individuals, but come on, six months, you don't know everything. I've been doing it since 1984, and I don't know everything. I learn something every day. So, um, so I don't think that, that a six-month wonder can teach you um, what you really need to know. You need a lot of experience to know the, the ins and outs, and that's why you guys are here. So yay, Angie. I see you in the chat room, so you're good to go. Um, we were just talking about um, the proliferation of wholesale courses that have come out. Um, it's, it's just crazy. And um, there seems to be a lot of people now having issues with other sellers having jumped in and gotten exclusives. Um, I see it in boards every day that I was selling XYZ product just fine from retail arbitrage, and I just got a letter from the company that says, Somebody else now has the exclusive right to sell that product on Amazon. It's like, yeah, yeah I knew it was going to happen. Um, we've been preaching that for years and years and years that you've got to be there first and you've got to be there organized and you've got to be there well. Um, 
if you want to be the person who has that exclusive and just sit back and let the other people stress, that's what I want you guys to be. And if a company doesn't grant an exclusive, the fact that you are buying wholesale from them puts you at a huge advantage over the retail arbitrage people because those are going to be the first people that are going to get booted. They may have four people that are the only authorized people to sell on Amazon, or maybe they'll pick six, but you know, ideally it's one and it's you, but if it's not, yeah, it's okay. But by buying wholesale, you are at a big advantage over online and retail arbitrage people. You're not going to have to worry about tax-exempt stuff, you know, having your forms to take to each store and will they or won't they accept the tax-against stuff. Will they actually refuse to sell it to you once you get the cart loaded up and get to the checkout stand because, you know, you've cleaned the shelf? All those little issues kind of disappear um, with, the, with doing wholesale. And not to say that there is um, – it's perfect because it's not, and that's part of the thing I'm going to talk about today is um, that it's not perfect and there are problems, but um, I still believe it is the best way to um, to build a long-term business. Um, Angie, if you don't have the funds to carry several of the products at one time, there is nothing wrong with asking for an exclusive for one product in their line. Um, what's the worst they can say? No. You know, so you say, hey, I really want to carry your products I've had success with them. I think they're great products. Um, but to be honest, I don't have the capital to buy your entire line. Could we work out an exclusive on this one product and then in six months revisit it and see if I can move on and expand into more product lines? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, and I don't want to say the exclusive is going to work everywhere. It won't. It will not work more often than it will work. But the question is you just have to ask first before you'll know if it will work or not. Um, and that's, that's kind of the thing. is it's, it's a scary proposition to ask those kind of things because I don't know about you, but I always feel like I don't want to piss somebody off because then they might not sell to me at all, right? Oh, if they get angry because I ask this, they're not going to sell to me. But if you've been a good customer and a steady customer, um, they're not going to cut you off because you've asked this. It's only a question. If they say no, well, you just, you know, have to say, okay, and we move on. So so I want to talk about some of the issues that I've run into since the last time we talked um, about the trade show I went to in Ohio. Um, remember I told you about the big four that I wanted to get as vendors, and I got three, well, two and a half of the four um, I've already gotten the products from two of them, and they're on their way into Amazon already. So that that's a really good thing. Um, the the half of one still no deal, and the fourth one is there. I don't think there will be a deal in my lifetime, but but that's okay. Um, but one of the small small vendors that I found at the trade show, it was a one woman business um, who had developed a really cool knitting tool that had a few accessories that went with it. So it was a product line of like six SKUs in her whole product line. line. Um, and um, she was uh, not real fond of online selling at all, but we, we talked it out. And I ordered what would have been for a normal, say, yarn store in your town, a big order. 
because you know we can move more products on Amazon than you can in a little store in a little town. So it was like a $600 order, and her opening order was $100, so six times her opening order Um, because I knew I would have to create the listings on Amazon for all of these, and I didn't want to just do it for one of each product. I wanted three of each each thing, and the main product came in four different colors, so there was 12 of that and then the accessories and things that went with it. So I um, did the deal with her, and um, it was kind of an annoying thing because obviously her setup for the trade show was new. Um, Her wholesale website didn't work when she tried to place the order in the thing. It wanted to charge me $47 shipping for a six-pound box, and I said, no, that's not going to work, you know, that kind of thing. So um, got back home, and she called, and we got the order done over the phone. And the order arrived, and the same day the order arrived came an email from her saying, for those of you who ordered from me at the show, we just want to let you know that we do not accept eBay, Amazon, or Etsy sellers. Our products are not allowed to be sold there. I'm like, okay. And here's the unopened box sitting by the front door that UPS had dropped up from her product. So I wrote her back, and I said, hey, You didn't say anything about this when I bought the products from you at the show. I have a box sitting here from you. I am an Amazon seller, as you know. What what do you want me to do? Do you want to send a call tag back for the product? What do you want to do? So she writes back and she says, well, I guess I misunderstood about you being an Amazon seller Um, and went into a bunch of excuses. You know, the, the typical excuses we bid about you know, it won't make my product look good and all this. And then, so I wrote back and I said, you know, I will promise to meet your, either meet or exceed the price you're selling this product for on your own little website. I didn't say little website, on your own website. So I'll match or exceed that. So I'm not undercutting you. Um, I will advertise your products. I will make sure that the listing for your products is attractive and accurate and all of that. I went into the whole thing about you know, why you need to reach Amazon sellers and all of that. And she came back to me and said, to paraphrase, sales are not what we're all about. Really, sales aren't what you're about. And she put the name of her company as sales aren't what XYZ Knits is all about. And I'm like, God dang, I thought going into business was about sales, you know? Um, and I think it was, it was Angie who said, um, or maybe it was Cerise who said, you know, take that, that attitude with, to your landlord with a check and see how that works for your rent, you know. Um, so she says you can, sell out, you can sell what you have and then that's it. You can't sell them on Amazon anymore. Well, okay, that's a little opening in the door, right? Wouldn't you think that, yeah, so she's not totally against, you know, she hasn't said send it back because I don't think she wanted to send back $600 wholesale of product. So I made the listings and the stuff is on the way in. Fortunately, she had really, really nice images on her website so I could use those and I got permission to use them. And I, I wrote them up, the products up very nicely and it, it, they're really nice listings. And we're, um, I could do two multivariation, one for the main product in the different colors, which is a pretty simple one. And then the other for the accessories I did them as a size variation, even though they were different knitting tools. 
So it worked and it went through and the listing comes up in search and all of that kind of stuff. So I'm thinking that was kind of a a sneaky way out to um, to not to have to make six different listings for the accessories. It was just one multi-variation listing. So the different tools will show up in that listing. So I'm hoping that they sell like really quickly because she's gotten lots of PR um, on some of the knitting blogs and things like that. People who saw the product in the show are saying, wow, cool product and all that kind of stuff. So I'm thinking, well, thinking, I'm hoping that if the product sells quickly and I come back to her and say, look, I sold $600 wholesale of your product in a month. Um, Do you want to reconsider? Here's the links to the listings so you can see what they look like. Maybe she'll reconsider. And maybe she'll realize that her business is about the sales, you know. Um, what one can hope. But um, the one good thing then is I'm I'm assuming that there's going to be no other sellers coming in on my listings because she's going to be very careful about vetting people that way. So we'll see. So that was kind of a, like, oh, rats, because it's a good product. And then the whole um, we're not about sales thing, when you're selling a product just, it, it I couldn't really understand why she was in business then making a product to sell you know um that may, is she in it for ego that she's made a product and it's being produced and it's out there um because that's an expensive lesson in ego um is she in it for publicity for some other thing i don't know but i always thought it, business was about the sales but i could be wrong so so lesson is um, people can change their minds, you know, and um, you just have to like, okay, and move on because starting a long debate is not going to work because her mind was made up and you could tell by the tone in her emails, her mind was made up. So so there we go on that one. We'll see what happens. So the next interesting issue that has been coming up, and I see a lot of people are having um, issues um, that I'm having, is um, that Amazon's fulfillment centers can't seem to receive a package properly, right? Oh, my gosh. I thought it was a one-off deal when two weeks ago Ron sent a pallet of products in to uh, ONT8, which is in Moreno Valley, California. Um, The irony is it's about 20 minutes from where my mom lives. And I've been right by the warehouses many, many times. So, so yeah, the irony. Um, so Ron sent in this whole pallet of products. It was identical. Everything, it was one pallet of, it was 32 cases of eight units each in a case. So lots of units. And they sell for 40 to $45 each. So it was an expensive one. So the pallet got there and he watched the receiving. And they received exactly half of the amount, and then closed the shipment. So um, not doing the math, it was a fair bit of stuff that was missing. And and he knew it was there based on the weight of the pallet. Um, It went from the manufacturer in the Pacific Northwest to Ben's uh, prep service um, in Oregon and then down the coast of California. And when it left Ben's prep service, it was the same amount of stuff because the pallet weighed the same, and he's double-checked with Ben, and yes, everything went out on it. So um, so he opens up a ticket with Amazon, 
you know, for these missing, you know, several thousand dollars worth of product at wholesale cost, several thousand, uh, and doesn't hear anything for like three days. So he follows up on that ticket, you know, still waiting for an answer on these, this issue. Nothing. Finally, he sends another ticket. Nothing. So he called them yesterday, and he finally got someone, a U.S.-based rep, um, which in and of itself is a miracle, um, who said that, that the fulfillment centers have specialized teams called the high-value team who investigate losses of high value, um, which this one is, and that they are so backlogged that the investigation has not even been assigned to a member of the high-value team. Now, we're going on two weeks now of these products being missing. Two weeks. And it hasn't even been assigned for investigation, really. What are they going to do? It's either there or it's not, right? And I would assume, maybe I'm stupid, but all of this product would go in the same place if it's all the same thing, but who knows. But uh, So we have not even assigned. And so she suggested that he call in every day to follow up on this. Great, huh? So we have to sit here, even after we've opened tickets and made phone calls, keep on them to do what we are paying them to do. I find that massively annoying, just massively annoying. You know, if your systems are so screwed up that you lose half pallets of products, well, then you have major, major issues that we just need to watch up. So it's a big eye-opener, guys, that, um, that you really need to keep on top of your own inventory because Amazon won't do it for you. I know there's lots of people out there on podcasts and spreecasts and Zoomcasts and whatever casts there are who say, I just send it in and let Amazon worry about it. That's their job. Um, and I don't reconcile anything, and I don't follow follow up on anything. Um, not true. It's your money at stake. Um, in the end, you have to be responsible for it. So, so don't let things pass. So, so my Ontario experience started um, when I found out that they had um, double received an entire shipment. So they half received Ron's and then double received mine. And there was absolutely no way that I was wrong on this one because I bought three of each of a set of designs of a product, about 40 of them, three each. And they all went to Ontario 8 and they received six each. On a couple, they received five. But I didn't buy them. They came from India. I know what came in the box from India. So, so I opened up that. It was yesterday. I think it was yesterday and have heard nothing. Yeah, and it's not good because Ron's were worth way more than mine were, so um, not so good. So then I get the little email that say, says, um, you know, you get the, the, the we've received, um, your, your shipment has been checked in, um, we're receiving, and then you get a received in full. You get that series of three emails about a shipment. So I got one this morning. Um, that they they had um, all three of them came at once like boom 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 you know within a few minutes of each other 
And so I went and looked at the shipment, and this one was to CHA, to Charleston, South Carolina. Um, and it was 32 units, one each of 32 different SKUs of a, different designs, a, same product, different designs. And it said closed on it as of this morning, which you think is good. It said, it, you know, where it has the column number shipped and number received, 32 shipped, zero received. Zero received, yet they closed the shipment. And I looked, and the box arrived there just fine, and I know I packed that box myself. I know that they were in there. I didn't send an empty box to them. But so they received zero, yet they just closed the shipment. So something is really wrong in receiving land in Amazonville, um, whether they are computer glitches that are... Um, programming issues, whether they are staff issues who just, oh, yeah, I'll just mark this as, as closed even though we just threw it in the trash or whatever. Um, I don't know. I don't know what is going on, but that is what I will be doing this afternoon is making some phone calls and sending some emails to try to figure out what has happened in the fulfillment centers in the past month or two. And there's always been issues, and in Q4 there's always issues because they have untrained or, or yeah, LE or, or rightly trained staff. But for these kind of problems to happen, I think is is really, really ridiculous. Um, you know, checking in half of a pallet is wrong. Double checking in an entire shipment wrong. Checking in and closing a shipment. With zero receipts, something is wrong. And, you know, because Amazon is not transparent at all, it's really hard for us to know what the issue is. And when you don't know what the problem is, we have no way of fixing it. Um, most of my shipments are one-box shipments. Um, so it's not like they lost one of the boxes even though it said checked in, you know, or whatever. They're one box shipments. It's not like I've got, you know, 20 truckloads going there every day. So there's an issue that that we need to be aware of, we need to keep on top of, and we need to protect our money. Because, um, yeah, Angie, the failing is really, yeah, it's, it's, it makes me really nervous. Because as much as I try to keep on top of it, and figure out where things are, because the reports are so crummy, for want of a better word, that you can't get the information you need to reconcile a shipment in one place. You know, you have to open up six different reports to figure out what's going on. Um, whether that's intentional or not, I don't know. Um, but it's very, I find it very hard to keep track of. Um, and I don't ship as much as a lot of people do, so I cannot imagine... Um, whether, you know, big, big, big sellers have one staff person totally devoted to reconciling inventory going into Amazon, um, I don't get it. And I don't know what the solution is right now. I don't, I don't think there's anything we can do differently except keep on top of it and fight for every penny we deserve um, with products that are lost or missing. Um, I know Angie posted in the group this morning 
about how warehouse damage items, they're now going to wait four days to pay you instead of one day. Um, I don't like that at all because that is totally um, money out of our pocket. They've damaged something, but they're going to wait to pay. Um, And um, I want to talk about one other issue that's come up before we get into the real wholesale stuff, but this is something you guys need to be aware of um, with your products and how they go in the warehouse is I have a coaching client um, who has done really, really well. Like he makes me look like a lazy ass bum. Um, He's selling close to 10 million this year. And um, we had to work through an issue the past two months where he was selling an electronic product that was selling like hundreds a day of this product. He was doing about 400,000 a month a month in this product, a month. Like, oh my God, really? Uh, One product. But he started noticing a pattern in feedback and um, at the same time that apparently Amazon noticed this pattern because they sent him a policy violation that um, he, he was getting complaints that they were sent used items, that they'd been opened up, you know, when they got them, the buyer got them. They'd obviously been open because the cord was, you know, undone. You know how you have to take the zip tie off the cord and plug it in and all that. The cord was undone. Um, things that, you know, the plastic torn on the inside, all that kind of stuff. So um, he started doing some investigation, and he was like a bulldog on this thing. And we must have talked on the phone 20 times about it. He discovered that apparently, and we can't prove anything, um, what happened. He buys these products direct from the manufacturer by the pallet, and it is a major manufacturer that you wouldn't, everybody and their cat and their dog and their goldfish would know the name. They're an extremely reputable company. And they were sent directly from the manufacturer to Amazon. Um, But they were not wrapped or anything like that. They were in a box like you'd find at Target or Walmart or Best Buy for this product, you know, just simple products. So he looked at the number of returns he got and the complaints about these used products and then his um, returned inventory report, you know, that one where you can see the disposition about each one. He found that like 90% of his returns were marked defective on this product, right? Which you and I know doesn't mean it's defective, but it probably means someone opened it up and looked at it and decided they want to return it, right? So they mark it defective so they can get return shipping. But they've opened it, torn the plastic, maybe plugged it in, whatever, and um, put it back in the box and sent it back. Well, Amazon, in their infinite wisdom, return almost all of these products marked defective to his sellable inventory. So these used open products clearly marked defective in the return reason were put back in inventory. And then they were resold and that's why people were getting products that were that appeared like he was lying and selling used stuff when it wasn't. Can you guys believe that? I'm just it boggles the mind that Amazon would get a return and look at it and see it was marked defective and then return it to inventory. I just, I 
couldn't believe it. So we put together an action plan because now he has a policy violation on his account. And when you're selling that much a month, and the, the listing, he couldn't, was not allowed to sell this listing. It was blocked. And he had like 2,500 in the Amazon warehouse and 10,000 of them in his garage, you know, that kind of thing. So um, Elizabeth, that's a very good question. She asked, was it mostly the same fulfillment center? I didn't get that far in looking at it because we got it solved, thank goodness. But um, that's a very good point and we need to look at, yeah, probably Ontario 8. Um, so I don't know. But, but here's what we did. Um, we couldn't prove that he wasn't doing it. I mean, you, it's short of, I don't know how you really could, but what we put together was a plan of action letter that Amazon likes. And, and I spent many an evening back at the trade show working on these letters. Um, he had the invoices from the big name company, you know, showing he bought, you know, 17 pallets containing this many direct from them. Then he had the, the shipment information into Amazon. He had a letter from the VP of sales of this company saying that he only purchased new products, et cetera, et cetera. And then he spelled out in detail this whole deduction that we'd made about why these products were showing up um, back in his inventory. Um, and then he also decided that from then on, he was going to get um, seals to put on the box. Because these, these boxes had one of those pull-out flaps that goes in the slot to hold it closed. I'm sure you guys would know what I mean if I could describe it on the radio. Um, but So it's easy to open without damaging the packaging. So the outside looks new, but the stuff could be just shoved back in there and sent back. So he also, as part of this action plan, um, he was going to start using these tamper-resistant seals that clearly show if the item's been opened because um, they have to line up and they're like hologrammed and all this kind of stuff. So that means he now has to get talk to the big name manufacturer into putting these on them, um, which I think if anybody could talk him into it, he could because he is like really, really good at the whole deal thing. Um, but um, so we did this whole letter, this whole action plan, and, you know, went over it a dozen times with screenshots of, you know, these lists of defective items returned to inventory as sellable things. And it must have worked um, because he got he – his selling privileges hadn't been revoked, but that one listing was blocked that he had like 2,500 in the warehouse. Within about 24 hours, um, he never got a letter, but all of a sudden his listings were live for that again. And to this day, it's now been three weeks, he's never heard back from seller performance at all, but the little red flag is off of his account and he can sell this product again. So moral of the story, I guess, is you can't trust Amazon to do anything. Um, and second of all, you can't even count on them to answer you on a big deal like this, $400,000 a month on this one product. So... Um, the, the upshot of it is that I have now become very aware of watching the returns, especially when I know the customer got a refund because they said it was defective, though that's really hard to do in the things I sell, but yeah. Um, so I started watching mine, and I had a set of very expensive knitting needles. They were $359. 
And I knew they were, I knew they'd been refunded. Um, but I wasn't on top of watching when they came back. And they were marked as defective. She said there was a, um, a one of the ebony needles was rough in one area. Okay, which I understand. It can happen, fine. Um, the manufacturer will take care of it. So I didn't watch really closely, but after all this stuff happened, I went in and looked for this one specific set of knitting needles about what happened to them. And can you guys guess what happened? They were marked defective by the buyer and returned as defective. They went back into my inventory as sellable, and they had sold. They had sold. I mean, it's not like these things sell really quickly because the average person does not buy $350 knitting needles. Um, So, oh, my God, my stomach just went to the pit of my the floor. And so the very first thing I did in this case was I took a screenshot where it showed that the, um, the item had been marked as defective but returned to inventory as sellable. And I took that screenshot. I took a screenshot of where they'd sold like a week later, and I sent it all in a ticket to Amazon seller support and saying, hey, this item was marked defective, yet you guys put it back in inventory and sold it. So here's the deal. If I get bad feedback, or if it gets returned again, or if anything else happens, I'm not responsible. Because you guys should have seen it was defect, it was marked defective and never resold it and returned it to me. And the poor Indian um, seller support agent says, we very, very carefully check everything for, you know, blah, 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 blah. And we would never put anything bad back in your inventory. Well, come on. Is some minimum wage employee in the fulfillment center going to know how to check knitting needles? I mean, really. So it hasn't been returned yet, and I haven't got bad feedback yet. But still, every morning, you know, I hold my breath when I click on it to see. They did say that they would not, I would not be responsible if it happened. But it's another thing to be aware of. Watch those returns. And, um, you know, I think if we all complain every time, even if it's just one, an item marked defective gets returned to inventory as sellable, you need to complain. Um, it's, I would rather them mark it unfulfillable, even if it is, and have it sent back to me to check. Because the other way, we get stuff that is clearly never open because it's still shrink-wrapped or still in the original poly bag or whatever, marked as defective or unfulfillable, and then we have to return it to find out. So it seems like, like they're going the other way now and just letting stuff slide um, that should be really sent back. I think there has got to be some way that they can program any return that is marked defective automatically gets marked unfulfillable. Does that seem like too hard? It doesn't to me. It seems like really simple, but but who knows, you know? Um, Angie, the higher power um, thing, we did, we used his Jeff at Amazon.com card on another issue um, that he had with his account. So I didn't want to go there right away. But I think if there is a big pattern um, of issues that, um, that the next step after basic seller support would be the, a U.S.-based rep 
um, of the leadership team is what I would ask for then. And that means you have someone here in the U.S. who hopefully has a better understanding of what's going on um, than someone, you know, in a call center across the world um, who actually knows what's happening in the warehouses. And I'm working on getting a guy who um, I haven't seen him around for a couple years. He was a warehouse manager for Amazon, and he left and started selling on Amazon himself. Um, He was on thrifting for profit a few years ago. I really want to get him to come and talk to us about warehouse issues and stuff because it is it is the most critical piece of our business that is pretty much out of our control. I mean, we can control what we buy in our business. We can control what we price. We can control how we package it to go to Amazon, whether we bubble wrap it or pollen bag it or all that. But once it that UPS truck drops it off at the warehouse, it's out of our control, and it's, it's for a control freak like me, it's a nerve-wracking kind of thing. Um, and I think, I think going forward, we just have to realize that we even more so have to be on the ball with protecting ourselves and our inventory and our selling, selling accounts. Um, because otherwise, you know, you are at the mercy of a bunch of minimum wage warehouse employees. And I got a return yesterday. It was a, it's a metal stamping kit that comes in a really nice plastic, you know, one of those hard plastic boxes to store everything in. It was a return, and I'm sure some, it was returned as defective. I'm sure someone used it to make the present they were going to make and then decided just to return it. Um, it came back to me in a bubble envelope. So you can imagine what happened to the nice plastic case, right? Crushed to bits. Because... UPS throws it around. I mean, if you ever get a chance to go to a UPS hub, you know, where where they have the conveyor belts and all that kind of stuff, watch how your packages get handled, you know. They don't carefully set it on a conveyor belt. They throw them across the room, you know. Um, they throw them in the truck. They throw them onto your porch. They throw them over the fence, you know. I mean, um, so anyway, the um, the thing is I really want you guys to be aware that we have to be – in control as much as we can of following up on that stuff. So it's boring, it's awful, it's tedious, it's ick. Um, it would probably be the first thing I would turn over to a virtual assistant is to have them reconcile every Amazon shipment for me to make sure what I sent in was received and if it wasn't that I was reimbursed for it and all of that. And um, it may be something to think about um, I'll post something in the group if you guys are interested in, in maybe sharing a virtual assistant to do just that, not to do sourcing, not to do anything else, but just to reconcile our Amazon accounts and make sure we get the money we're deserved. Um, so we'll see. So the the last thing um, that I was I have on the list to talk about is about just just sourcing in general and getting over the fear thing. I think you guys have really come a long way, and there's some of you I know have no fear, which I love. Um, but the fear of, I, I think it's, for me, the fear is I don't want to look stupid. I don't want to say the wrong thing and th- them to think I'm really dumb, right? Um, for others, it, the fear could be something different. But fear 
is the big thing that holds us back from doing more in our business. Um, so I want to talk about the fear of approaching wholesalers um, and um, the fear of just going out and going to a trade show. So I'm, I'm going to put her on the spot here, and I'm kicking Angie's rear this next few weeks to get her out of the house um, when the rain stops in Texas um, and get in the ark if need be and get to a trade show. And it's not easy to just buy anything at the trade show because I think there's a lot of value into just going one and knowing you're not going to buy anything because then there's no pressure. You don't have to find a product. You don't have to, you know, do the budget working. You know, you don't have to do any of that. Um, yeah, so, um, so Angie's, uh, we found a couple um, online that are close enough to go. Um, and... Angie's goal, I swear, this summer, if I don't get her to a trade show, I will drive to Texas and kick her little rear into a trade show. Um, and Ellie, you're right. Um, it's, it is very interesting. And if you go just to watch and especially listen, it is amazing what you'll learn. Um, I love to eavesdrop on other conversations between other people like us looking to buy stuff and the vendors who are selling to just listen about the terminology they're using, the questions they're asking, um, the, the whole thing, listening is so valuable. So, um, yeah, Angie, you won't go. <laughs> I'm not driving to Texas in the summer, though. You no, know, it's too gorgeous here. So I'll have to trust that you will. So, so I really, if you haven't gone, like, like Ellie says, she was terrified the first time. I'm still nervous when I first go. I really am, um, and the more important it is to me, the more nervous I am. Um, so, um, so realize that that the nerves, everybody has them. You don't think those people in the booth are nervous? They've got their livelihoods on the line. That they have these products, and if they don't get people to buy them to resell, they aren't going to be in business either. So everybody's nervous, you know. Um, so I just want to encourage all of you guys to find what in your life you're afraid of right now that's stopping your business. Um, and let's work on it together through the whole group, through me, um, and we'll, we'll get past it. It may not be trade shows, the fear. It may be bookkeeping. Well, we can figure that one out too. It may be pricing. Whatever you feel is like holding you back, that's what the group is for is we are there to support and help each other. And I have to say, I think we have a pretty dang awesome group of supportive people. Do you know there's not one whit of drama there, which I just love, you know? And nobody's dissing anybody else. So I, so I think it's a really safe place to say what you're afraid of, you know? I have a big fear that I don't want to have employees. I don't want to have to do that. I don't want to have to be, because you're accountable to an employee. You know, if you say come in from 8 to 5, you've got to be ready with work at 8 to 5. That's my thing. Part of it is employees are really expensive here, too, and it's not kind of something I really want to get into, too. Um, so, um, Elizabeth, you are entirely correct. If you listen, there are lots of people who know less than you do, and that is really empowering feeling, right? Um, so you're standing there, and they're asking, like, questions, and you go, oh, my God, really? They're asking that, you know? Um, and it makes you – that is a huge ego boost, um, the other thing is you will find, as you guys are all experienced Amazon sellers now, you have enough time under your belt. You know more about selling on Amazon than 99.999% of the people in the world. 
And of people at trade shows, you probably know more than 99% of them. I mean, seriously, um, it, is, it, it was a shock the first time to realize how little the, the people who are trying to sell us product know about selling on Amazon, the world's biggest marketplace. Um, that's a huge advantage for you because you can educate them about what is involved in selling in Amazon um, and bring them over to the dark side because you are educating them. You don't educate them on how to do it themselves because that's not where you want to go, but you, you educate them as what is involved in the process on their end, which is pretty much nothing. Um, it's, you know, they, they don't have to do anything differently um, for the most part than if they ship to a brick-and-mortar store in, in Nebraska or whatever. You know, they're just shipping to you. And you, you can work on the deals later about shipping directly to Amazon and all that kind of stuff. But, but by going to these shows, you will find out that you know a lot more than you think you know. Um, you will find that there are holes in your knowledge. And I find out at every show that there are things I don't know. And then I really try to listen and eavesdrop more about those kind of things so I fill up that hole of knowledge. Or I'll go back to the hotel and Google about it that night. I'll make a note say, I need to learn more about this because people were talking about it. Um, um, so, so, yeah, so um, Angie has, she's getting her business cards together because one of the shows required a business card for entry. Um, so we're working on that. Um, business cards through Vistaprint. doesn't have to be fancy or anything. It just needs to have your basic contact information on it. Um, we did run into a question. Um, Angie uses prep service for some things, and should she put her prep service address on there or her own address? And 100% you put your own address on there because that's where invoices might come and other co correspondence might come. Um, so you can... Um, do the ship to address later if you start shipping somewhere else because it's so common in business to have a different billing address and ship to address. So not an issue. Don't worry about that. Just put your own. So you need your name, your business name, your address, your phone number, your email. That's all you need. You don't, you don't have to spend a lot of time to get fancy. These cards are just to give people contact information. A lot of... Um, a lot of... Um, Vendors at shows who write orders at shows will just staple it to the top of your order form so you don't have to fill everything out, and then you're good to go. So if you don't have the business cards, remember that's one of those five things in the book that I say you got to have. Um, go to Vistaprint, and they have lots of templates there that are plenty fine enough to get you a basic business card to get started. As you move forward and want to brand your stuff and brand yourself more uniquely, um, I've got graphic designers I can point you to, but to start, it doesn't have to be anything fancy. Um, just it needs to have the basic contact information. So, um, Ellie, that's a really good question. Somebody could go with Angie for support. Um, I think Wesley would be like bored silly um, at it. So if it was a toy one, he could give you lots of good insight on what kids like. Um, I don't recommend taking kids. A lot of shows won't allow kids under 16 in unless they're babes in arms and you have to carry them. Every show will have regulations about that, but it will be really distracting. Um, I think it's just a case of, you know, you go in the bathroom, you cry out the nerves, and then you walk out, and you just walk up and down the aisles. You don't even have to talk to anybody the first time, Angie. 
just walk up and down the aisles, do it slowly, look at the products. If somebody says, can you help you, say, no, I'm just looking, and that's it. You will gain a world of confidence from that point on that you did the hardest part, you went to it. And then the rest will be easier. I promise, 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 it will get easier. The thing to remember is the nerves never go away. There will always be a little nerve. Um, so don't, if you go to the second one and you're still nervous, don't think that there's something wrong because there's not. I mean, nerves, I kind of think, show that it's important to you, right? If you didn't care about what happened or what people thought or what the outcome was, you wouldn't be nervous, right? If you didn't, if you didn't care. So it just shows you care. The confidence part can make you feel better about caring so much because you know that, that you are confident in your knowledge about your business and what you need in your business, and you can, you can do it. So encouragement to everybody. I mean, I know Ellie's um, been to shows and Elizabeth's been to shows, and Wendy was supposed to be here, but she, I know she's been to shows. Um, it's it's this we're gonna you know push you out of the nest and make you go. You're close enough to lots of stuff going on in Texas that that I think once you go, you your your eyes will go. Oh my God, I didn't realize this was out here because it can be isolating working at home. Um, I happen to like it a lot. Um, the not having the chatter and all that going on, um, but also it can be make you somewhat provincial in that you don't see things that are happening in the rest of the world. Um, I have to say, I was pretty, I thought I was pretty hooked into the knitting community going to this, this show. Um, but as Angie posted in the group, that big knitting with like broomstick sized needles and um, um, the yarn that's as fat as your, you know, index finger or bigger, um, and Wendy posted too um, about it that it's a it's a trend, and I saw lots of it at the show. But because it's not something that interests me at all personally as a knitter, I kind of just ignored it. If I'd seen it anywhere, like on Pinterest, I'd seen a few things. But there was several booths that had this trend. Um, I think it's going to be a fad, not a trend. Um, and I bet you in a year they won't be there. They may be there with different products, but they won't be there with um, you know, broomstick knitting. It was a, it was a fad in the '70s. It was it was called broomstick knitting. Um, they also have broomstick lace, which people still do. But anyway, I digress on that. But um, so this is this is the call for the summer: is is step out of your comfort zone, figure out what you're afraid of that is stopping your business. Um, you know, I'm afraid of snakes, but they're not stopping my business because we don't have any here, or we have very few. The altitude does them in. And when I lived in Hawaii, Hawaii doesn't have snakes at all except in the zoo, so that was cool too. So, um, so yeah, um, d- deal with one thing that is stopping you from growing your business. Ron went through it, and his was letting go and letting a prep service do certain things. Um, and it's, it's freed up a ton of his time, and it's actually saved money. The saving and shipping um, actually pays for the prep service because it ships to a, the pallet ships to a commercial address and then from a commercial address to Amazon. So it actually ended up cheaper 
to have the prep service do the work than, than Ron do it and pay the shipping. So, so there you go. So that was a good one. Um, so, um, Ellie, you say you took lots of notes and wrote on the business card. That's really, really smart because I get lazy, and I admit this is a failing, and I'll stick the business card in, in my little pouch and, you know, not make notes on it. And then it's like, oh, my gosh, what did I talk to them about? So I did way better this last show um, is I did write on the back of the business cards what I was supposed to do, follow-ups and everything. And then each evening I sat down and wrote just on paper. I didn't even do it in Evernote because the paper was faster and easier. I wrote down any things I had to do regarding contacting the vendor or whatever, like must send EIN to XYZ company things like that. And then on another sheet, I wrote down the orders I placed. Because um, even though I had the invoices and the order, or not the invoices, the sales orders and um, and things like that, it um, for me, having the list of orders I placed was really useful because now as they come in, I just scratch them off, off the list. And I took a picture of the, the list and put it in Evernote then. So at least if I lost the paper, I still had it. Um, kind of like Ellie just says she did. She took um, photos of the business cards too. Yeah, because you can lose them, you know, and you may forget um, who it was you talked to about what. So um, as organized as you try to be at a show, you will be. there will be lots of papers to go back to the room and deal with every night. And, and there's sometimes that you just cannot get out of a booth without them giving you your catalog, whether you want it or not. Um, so I just put it into recycling that night in the room. You know, I had a bag of stuff to recycle um, because um, I'm not going to haul all that home. That's crazy. Um, if you're never, if it holds no interest or whatever, but it was a way to get out of booth by taking that information. Um, so be it. So I want to open up to questions from anybody um, in the the chat room. I know we had a lot of. I don't want to say bash Amazon, but a lot of be aware about issues on Amazon um, that I really want you to take to heart and um, make it part of your business to keep on top of. I will be posting in the group about um, a v- the o- option of maybe you know pooling a VA who can work you know a few hours a week doing this for all of us um, because once someone is trained on how to do this. Um, it's not. A, it's nothing that requires a decision-making judgment because it's either yes or no. Yes or no, the product was arrived. Yes or no, you were reimbursed. That kind of thing. So, um, especially if we're going to have to watch um, returns marked effective that go back into inventory. You know, um, it's another piece of the puzzle we have to be aware of. Um, and I had checked with Amazon and um, my coaching client with all the the issues. Checked with Amazon. And they say there is no way to mark all your returns as unfulfillable, um, which would solve that problem. Um, they said there's no way. I don't see how there's no way, but that's what they, they say. Um, they can document everything down. They can have bots in your emails, you know, messages looking for stuff. So I can't imagine that they can't say you click a button and say, Anything returned to you gets marked unfulfillable. You know, that seems to me simple. But but then again, someone posted earlier, you're asking for common sense. Ellie said that. Yeah, you're asking for common sense. So 
So it's a be aware summer. It's a get over your fear summer. Uh, it's a stay cool and dry summer because good grief, everything seems to be either burning up or or um, flooding. It's just terrible. So um, I don't see any questions in the chat room. So I'm going to wrap it up in a minute. But I want to remind you of the next podcast. We're going to have a guest. And due to um, travel issues and stuff, we are going to, we would normally have the podcast on the 1st of July. Um, but I, that's the day I'm driving to Salt Lake um, for eye doctor stuff. Um, so instead of the 1st, it is going to be on the 8th of July, Wednesday, same time, same place. And Beth is going to be our guest. We've tracked her down from airports and hotels and all that kind of stuff. And she's going to be on talking First, first, but not only about travel and how she manages her business being gone so much, but um, also travel hints for family travel since it's summer coming up and you may be on car trips and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's a two-part. It's how to run your business when you're not home all the time and then two travel tips to make travel more fun because as you guys know, I love to travel. Um, Getting there is not half the fun it used to be back when flying was exciting and fun and all that. Now it's just a way to get somewhere. But um, but yeah, so we'll see. We'll talk about prep services and shipping directly from manufacturers and all that kind of stuff on how to to get stuff um, out of your control because you're not home to process it. Um, I have one manufacturer that I deal with there in. Oregon, and I, I used to not trust any manufacturers, but these people I've been buying from for years and years and years, and I buy a case of 60 items. That's how small they are. 60 will fit in a case that's like 18 by 12 by 12. Um, and um, I was buying 60 at a time, having shipped to here, labeled, blah, blah, blah. Well, I finally realized that they've never, ever screwed up an order, um, so I now have them shipped direct to Amazon and have Amazon labeled for 20 cents. And it's way cheaper because I'm only paying shipping once and I'm paying shipping from Oregon to California because these things also go to Ontario 8. Um, from Oregon to California instead of from Oregon to Wyoming and then to California and me having to label them and rebox them and all that. So um, I reordered some on Tuesday afternoon from them. No, Monday afternoon, 15th. And they said we can ship them out right now. I was sent an email saying, you need another case. Let me know when you need the labels. And the guy that, well, we can ship them out right now if you get the labels to me in the next 15 minutes. So I did. Send them a PDF of the labels. And do you know those things arrived at the warehouse this morning in Southern California? I was like, that was cool. Because um, it's a product, it's my fastest selling product. It's not my biggest product, but I sell, you know, six to eight a day of them. So having it arrive so fast was, was pretty cool. So anyway, so I'll let you all go. Um, you've got homework, and you have things to think about, um, fear, and um, keeping track of things are basically the two topics for the next three weeks. Um, I'll see you all in the Facebook group. Have a great day. Process stuff. Look for new suppliers. And also have fun at it, too. Bye-bye.